0: Welcome to the keys of the kingdom with Brother Gregory of his holy Church
1: well welcome to Keys of the kingdom I'm brother Gregory and And we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about hierarchies and Christarchies. And we're going to talk about the princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come into them. What are we talking about there? We're talking about Isaiah 123 and the lovers of gifts are the lovers of gifts gratuities and benefits and we know that the greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts gratuities and benefits and it would be almost comical if we understood what was really going on in the world today in all the countries of the world people are concerned about governments getting too much power. And abusing the people, abusing their God-given rights, abusing their their position in the world. And the reason why they are able to do this is because men are not what they ought to be. They are the princes of rebellious and companions of thieves. They loveth gifts, and they followeth after reward. They want benefits. They want lots of benefits. They want free education. They want free health care. They want all kinds of things for free, but it's not for free. It comes to them from men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. And Christ told us not to be that way, not to pray to those fathers of the earth. And yet we do it. We do it by the millions, by the billions. People are looking to the government to solve all their problems, to provide all their salvation from the problems of the world, their security. And that is wrong. It is a bad idea. And they fail to judge. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth that cause the widow to come unto them. What do they mean, judge not the fatherless? Judge... Who is the fatherless? Who really needs help? And they they don't want the widows to come unto them. I had somebody who wanted to be a part of his holy church for a long time. He 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 talked about becoming a part of one of our religious groups and congregations. But I I said, you know, really our focus is not on getting people out of the system, but getting people to judge the fatherless and the cause of the widow. In other words, taking care of the widows and orphans. And... He said, what are the widows and orphans to me? What have they ever done for me? And that just told you the spirit in which he was coming. He was not coming in the spirit of Christ. He thought he was a Christian. But he wasn't coming to serve. I mean, there was some of that. That's the thing is we're complex creatures. Some of us want to do what's right. Some parts of us want to do what's right. But there are other parts of us that are still selfish. And the fact is we can't cut you in half and just take the unselfish part you have to get rid of the unselfish part. So you have to come seeking the kingdom with the intent to serve one another. The intent to become the social welfare system that operates according to the perfect law of liberty by faith, hope, and charity. That's what you have to do. And and you cannot do that unless you gather together. Because you won't be able to judge the fatherless. You won't be able to cause the widows to come unto you because you're just this guy out there floating around doing his own thing. You know, I mean, he'll help somebody. You know, I saw somebody the other day who had a fly tire and I helped them out. I must be a Christian. Well, it's great you helped them out, but you're not like the early church who were actually organized in the way they did things. Did they have a hierarchy? Did they have a Christarchy? Well, the problem isn't the word higher. That doesn't mean higher, H-I-G-H-E-R. That's a H-I-E-R, Archie. <laughs> the problem is the word archy. Archy is the word for ruler, one who exercises authority one over the other. And that is the problem. There is an archie in the church, in church. The church appointed by Jesus Christ. Uh, but it is Christ who is the Archie. It is not the individual. It is Christ ruling in the heart of the individual. There is a higher which is the heir, those he appointed. He appoints them and they lay hands on somebody else and they appoint them, etc etc. But they're not rulers. They don't exercise authority one over the other because they're not archie. The problem is the archy part of being rulers who exercise authority. What they exercise is service, charity, which is what Christ came to do. What did He say? Which is better, the he seats and eats at meat, or him that serveth? He come to serve. And that is what we need to realize also, is that we need to come to serve one another. And that's why we gather together in congregations. And we make a record of that, because they say in the Bible to establish all things but with two or more witnesses. So we form congregations of record. Congregations of record means you say, yeah, I want to be a part of this congregation because I accept this minister as A minister of Christ. I think this guy is a minister of Christ. Not everybody who accepts the minister has really thought out what that means, what that looks like. Is that person really like Christ? Does he meet the requirements of being the minister of the church as it says in Timothy? And and in other parts of the New Testament, they talk about it. Do you think this person really manifests the spirit of Christ, or is he a little mixed up on what the spirit of Christ really looks like? The definition of socialism is a theory or a system of social organization that advocates the vesting of ownership and control of the means of production and distribution of capital, of land, etc., in the community as a whole. But in Israel, in the kingdom of God... The investment of the means of production and distribution of capital of land is in the individual. Each individual is king and priest over that which God has given him. The state is in his hands, and he needs to be in the state that he ought to be. And the state he ought to be is the state of grace and the state of grace comes by faith in Christ. And faith in Christ is fidelity to Christ. And fidelity is Christ is to have Christ in you. And to have Christ in you is what it means to do things in the name of Christ. Because you are actually acting like Christ. Who came to what? To rule? Arky, Or to serve? Ah, Are you coming together to serve, or are you coming together in your congregations? Because it feels good, because you feel self-righteous, because our group's got it, and your group ain't. So, you know, we 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 talk about this all the time. We've written books on it. We've written articles on it. But a lot of people are still missing it. There is a rank in the kingdom of God. We know this when the Roman centurion says, I too am a man of authority. I don't need to go. All I need to do is say, go do this, and I know it will be done. Because he is a man of authority over others, and, and he is also a man under authority. But the Roman army at one time moved with personal loyalty to each other and to the to the men and officers they worked for, it wasn't that you were forced by those officers that you had to obey. You wanted to. There was a relationship there. Everybody had swords. Everybody had power. They got away from that, and then before you knew it, you had, you know, the the armies were putting different commander in chiefs in charge, and then they would another army would come along and take them out and kill them and put somebody else in, and they were. They were changing emperors every month. And, of course, we will see that same thing happen in the world today. Because we're going the same way of our own. These, these are, it's not a prophecy. It's just, you know, history repeats itself. But the church was doing something completely different. They were not binding people by contracts, covenants, and constitutions. They were binding people by love. And that love was created by being of service, by judging the fatherless. In other words, judging, oh, this person needs help. And dealing with the cause of the widows, the needy of their society, and what they call pure religion. This is why James says pure religion is taking care of the needy and the orphans and the widows of your society unspotted from the world, which was the constitutional order or system of government. That's what that word there means. The word world there means. That's how it's defined in theirs. That's what it means. So they were taking care of each other without Rome, which had a hierarchy, which had rulers who exercised authority. They'd They were authorities over others and forced their obedience. They forced the contributions of the people. They forced the compliance of the people. They were a hierarchy. It's amazing how many people, they say, oh, we don't have a hierarchy in the church. You don't even go to church to take care of your widows and orphans. You go to the hierarchy of modern government. The ones who exercise authority one over the other. That's where you go to take care of your widows and orphans and needy of your society. You go to them. Your contribution to your church is called your social security payment and your income tax and other excise and tribute taxes that you make. That's how you take care of your society. Early Christians they They had to pay certain fees and and excises. If they used a harbor, they would have to pay that fee. That's an excise tax on the use of the harbor and If they used certain roads, they would have to pay an excise tax. That's why you pay a gasoline tax you that's how you pay for the roads. But how do you take care of your widows and orphans? You do it through your system of corbin. Corbin meaning sacrifice. A system of sacrifice whereby you take care of the needy of your society. Where you provide the salvation for the needy of your society. Through the Corbin that you signed up for. Which is the funds for which are collected by men who exercise authority one over the other. And they are your fathers. They are the fathers of the earth that Jesus was talking about when he said, Call no man father, but pray to our Father who art in heaven. Very simple concepts. Very real in history. Very real in the context of the Bible. Because this is the way it's been since the beginning. You take care of yourself and your neighbor with free will offerings through love casting your bread upon the waters in hopes that they will be there for you? Or you sign up with Sodom and Gomorrah or some of the other Greek city-states and you say, you take care of us and we will pay you a portion of our labor in a Corvi system of statutory bondage and we will be your human resources. This is what you've done. This is contrary to what the Bible says in the Old Testament, contrary to what the Bible says in the New Testament. You are to give to God what is God and to Caesar what is Caesar's. But you have given to Caesar what is God and now you must bow down and serve Caesar in order to get your benefits and take care of the fatherless and the widows of your society. And what you give in is your contribution, and when it is used up, and there is no more, they will go to your neighbors and force them to contribute to your welfare at the point of a gun, or a sword, or a spear, or whatever they use. You know, they'll use all kinds of things. And they will take care of you, because you... And you won't say, I don't want benefits that are collected by force. I only want benefits that are collected by the perfect law of liberty. If you said that, if all the people who say they are Christians in America would do that, that we do not want to live by the sword, we do not want benefits that are obtained by the sword of men who exercise authority one over the other, we only want benefits that are provided through faith, hope, and charity, the world would be a different place to live. But those... Christians have gone whoring after other gods, they have made covenants with them, they have prayed to them for benefits, knowing that they will not give them anything except what they take away from their neighbor. So every time they desire those benefits, they covet their neighbor's goods, and they violate the Ten Commandments, and they violate the will of God. And they do not really believe in what Christ was saying because Christ said the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. And the Corbin of the Pharisees was how they took care of their mother and father when they were elderly and in need and the widows and their orphans. Through the treasury, the Corbin of the Pharisees that was collected by compelled offerings with statutory limits set up by the Sanhedrin. That's just a matter of history. That's the way it went. And when they started spending that money on other things, like aqueducts, etc., there were riots in the streets. Matter of historical documentation. Because they had gone to a hierarchy who exercised authority instead of a higher service-oriented system of public servants who received your contributions, your free will offerings, and took care of the needs of society through those gifts. Two different systems. Been that way from the beginning. You can go to Ur and have a hierarchy. You can go to Haran, have a hierarchy. Or you can go out to Abraham and set up altars of clay. That's all you families. And altars of stone. That's the ministers. You look out amongst yourselves and choose, and sacrifice upon those living altars of stone. Give your sheep if you're shepherds, and a lot of them were sheepherders out there. If you're a weaver, you would give some wool blankets, and they would distribute them. If you were a gold miner, you would give gold. If you were a silver miner, you would give silver. If you were, whatever you did, you would give a portion of whatever you made in as an offering to help take care of the needy of your society. And your society would be bound together by faith, hope, and charity, and love. And the perfect law of liberty would reign in your society. You used to do that in places like America. That's how you took care of your needy. It was really, worked pretty good. But, You don't do that anymore. And you have a different society today. For that reason alone. Now just think, if if Christians actually repented of praying to the hierarchy of government, and came together and started providing for one another through faith, hope, and charity, actually repented of the one and sought the other, the whole world would turn around. The whole world would turn around. If all Christians in America alone did that, the whole world would turn around. If all the Christians in the whole world would do that, the the, the world would become a, a haven, a heaven on earth a heaven, a haven for righteousness, and God would bless us accordingly. But as long as we go whoring after the gods who exercise authority one over the other in order to obtain our salvation by coveting our neighbor's goods, we will be snared in what should have been for our welfare, and we will be human resources. We will be merchandise because of our covetousness. Which is what Peter says. Through covetousness you will be made merchandise. Done deal. Already happened. You're already there. You're already collateral. Merchandise for debt. This is where you've gone. And there's no going back. Unless you repent. Turn around. And start becoming the higher. Servants of Christ. The heir servants of Christ the appointed church of Christ and start doing what the early church was doing and did just in time because Rome began to collapse first they took the silver out of the coin already done deal in America in the world today done deal in Israel they did it even before us done deal in Canada done deal in Mexico done deal everywhere They took the silver out of the coin. Now they are even taking the gold out of the coin. Actually, there are some silver and gold coins around. But if you're a human resource, you can't count that as yours. You can have the use of it, but they can take it away from you anytime they want. So if you stockpile it up, lots of luck with that. They can take it away from you again. Even though HJR 192 was repealed, it was repealed under the condition that you didn't actually own that resource, that capital. You haven't had capitalism in the United States since 1913. Certainly since 1933. Absolutely since 1970. So people will say, how's that capitalism working out for you? I don't know. Haven't been doing it. Because the, the, you've been under the theory or system of social organization that advocates the, the vesting of ownership and control of the means of production and distribution of capital and land, etc., in the community as a whole, is in the hands of the state. You don't own any land. We explain this in Law versus Legal. You don't own any land at all. You do not have the right to the use of the land that you paid $100,000, $400,000 for. You do not own it. You have a legal title that does not include, by definition the beneficial interest. And the beneficial interest is the ownership. You are not the owner of the land. You are owner of a legal title that allows you to use the land as long as you pay the use tax. You are not even the owners of your own labor anymore. Employed versus and count in covenants of the gods. You are not the owners of your labor. The state owns your labor and they can say, well, this year you're going to give 20%. Oh, no, we changed our mind. This year you're going to give 30%. Oh, no, we changed our mind. This year you're going to give 40%. You're not the owners of your money. You can't even be the owners of gold and silver anymore if you're a citizen of the United States. And the same goes for Canadians and, and Mexicans and Australians and all these people because the same system is everywhere. The whole world. I can't find a country... Although there are a few groups out there without specific countries, and maybe there might be one country that is not a part of that system. Might be one. But even then, I can't find anyone with the Spirit of Christ that you could count as those countries. Now someone sent me... The author, uh, Wesley Webster wrote something in 1996 and he called it the hierarchy or Christarchy. And he talks about this thing of hierarchy and, and it, is the church a hierarchy? And of course it's not because it isn't anarchy. It isn't exercise, it's an, it's an anti-archy. <laughs> we don't exercise authority. We do not compel your offerings. We do not tell you what you can do and cannot do. We have every bit of authority to say that if you are a fornicator or a liar or a backbiter or, or all these other things, that we can say we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Now, we if you are brought to us and they say that you are an adulterer or a fornicator, we can say go and sin no more. I will not accuse you, but we have to see the fruits of repentance. But we're going to talk about hierarchy and Christarchy and what this article of Wesley Webster is all about when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're going to see if you really know the way that Christ taught. Be right back. Music Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widows come unto them. Yet they think they're saved. They think they're Christians. They think they're following the ways of Christ, and they have need of repentance. Now, I understand the complexity of mankind is that you see an error, and you say, I repent of that error, and I seek the ways of Christ, and I accept Christ, and I accept the love of Christ, and I repent, and all that stuff, and great. And there is a change in them. But they may have even turned around a little bit from what they were doing before. Have they turned all the way around? Are they back facing all of Christ? Are they accepting all of Christ? Are they going in the way of Christ? Are they actually moving in the direction of Christ? Or are they just looking At Christ, far off, saying, I really ought to move in that direction, but tomorrow maybe. You know, quit this practice of evil, this practice of self destruction, this practice of covetousness, this practice of whatever it is that you're doing that is contrary to Christ. But I've turned around, I've accepted Christ, but I'm not gonna stop my old ways. I'm not gonna repent of my old ways. I'm gonna keep doing them. I'll repent of a couple of them because they were really making me look bad. But I'm gonna go back to my old ways. The fact is, you can't change. You have been given over to a reprobate mind. And you cannot make yourself good. But you can head back to the Father with a hope of service to the Father like the prodigal son. You need to do that. You need to go back to the Father with the intentions to serve. If you don't do that, you will not be king and priest. You will not. It's just not going to happen. You will take your reprobate mind with you on whatever trail you're going, but you will be off course. You know, if you leave Los Angeles, headed for Japan, and you are three degrees off in your direction. You know, you're headed for Tokyo, say. And you're three degrees off. I I think I remember this right from my navigation days. And you continue on that course. You will miss Africa. (laughs) You will not even... You will miss altogether Japan, Asia, and even Africa. You'll sail right by them all. Three degrees. That's all you have to be off. And you'll head down into the southern currents, and then you'll just keep on going, and you will miss entirely. It used to be amazing... The navigators who would go all the way across the ocean with no good clock to figure—you know—you have to figure longitude and latitude, and you can't figure them both unless you know the time. And they didn't have a good way of knowing the time. Now they—they they could take readings now and then, but it was very hard to tell exactly where you were. And they were hidden islands. These were these were guys who were pretty good navigators. Now, how are you at navigating towards the kingdom? You say you want to seek Christ, go the ways of Christ, know Christ, accept Christ. Abraham wanted to do God's will and to faith. His faith was counted as righteousness. But what did he do that showed faith? That he, that he believed that he would have a son someday? Yeah, because he left his nativity, his family. He left his family. He left his kingship as the eldest son. Haran was dead. And he was heir to Haran. He could have ruled comfortably in Haran. He had a position of prestige even in war. But his father picked up and left Ur and went to Haran. But he created another city-state. Another system much like Ur. Much like Sodom. Much like Athens. Much like many of these other city-states. With better or poorer systems of benevolence, they always have to balance it out or else the people will rebel. But they're offering gifts as benefactors. That's what that's what Nimrod was, a mighty provider instead of the Lord. That's what it means to say a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a provider. The word there is not normally hunter. It's normally provisions. A provider. A giver of provisions. Those benefits that we see talked about in Isaiah one twenty-three. But they were benefits. How did how did he have the funds by which he could give those benefits? He took them from your neighbor. So Wesley Webster in his article in nineteen ninety six says how does God govern his church? Does God work primarily through one man? Is the true church a structure like a pyramid? Well, actually a pyramid might actually be true. Depends on how you mean it. You know, a pyramid, of course, has this wide base and then goes up by steps. But are those steps of service or steps of authority? Because the Levites went up by steps, but they were naked without authority. That's why the people had to weave their underwear. That's what it says in the Old Testament. They had to make their underwear out of linen. Because when they went up by steps, they would reveal their nakedness if they didn't have this underwear on. Because they weren't steps of authority. But they had rank. But it was a rank determined not by power over others, but by service. Because you didn't have to tie it to your Levite. You were to tie to a Levite a portion of what you earned. You were to give it to him. Every year. And that uh, portion might be 10%, 20%, 30%, because there were more than just the 10% sacrifice. And I say 10% loosely. I'm just using that as a figure. I'm not saying he actually had to give 10%. He was to tithe according to their service. If they provide a service, they should a laborer is worthy of his hire. He's working for God, just as the ministers of Christ should be working for Christ. They're an employee of Christ. Now, Christ does not have an employer identification number, but according to the laws in America and most countries, you can be an employee of Christ, and you don't need an employee identification number. An employee identification number, such as a Social Security number, is a federal employee identification number. That's what it actually is defined. You can get get one from two different places. You can get a TIN. Or you can get a social security number. They are both employee identification number. Federal employee identification number. And as a federal employee, you have to pay the tax. And you can't, if you've had the number and gotten benefits with it, you can't just throw the the number out because the country's in debt because you've taken those benefits. And what are those benefits? Public school education. Employment. Uh, by a someone who has a federal employer identification number, you what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. You are snared, and don't think you can just shine it on and disregard your yes, and now say no. Big mistake. That's not the plan. That's never been the plan of Christ. There is a plan that can set you free, but you have to follow that plan, and that plan is found in the true church, established by Christ, because that was part of the plan. He goes on to say, for years most of us with the the worldwide Church of God, which is evidently where he came from, WCG, background were taught that government in the church is hierarchical in form. I don't know where people get this, but evidently it did. He goes on to say, we believe God directed the church by directing the top man and everyone else Through a descending chain of command, all power was invested in the top man and delegated at his sole discretion. No doctrine, ordination, or major decision could be made in the church without authorization from this earthly head. Now, that's just not the way it was originally set up, although there, that's not the only church that does that sort of thing. There are other churches that do it as well, and there are smaller churches that do it. Even just some home churches actually have a pastor who is just authoritarian. He just isn't in as big an organization. The minister only has authority over how he will serve because he is working for Christ, and if Christ is in his heart, Christ will tell him how he's going to serve whether he is going to uh, serve in this way or serve in that way or do this or that. And it's up to the individual members of his congregation decide whether or not he's doing a good job. Because the means of production are the people. And we are trying to deliver every man back to his family and back to his possession. And so the structure of the church is that the power is in the hands of the people. So when they tithe to a man, they are giving consent, saying, I think this man is of Christ. They are making a choice. And they can stop any time they want. And they're not to tithe to the man to create a great central treasury of funds. The funds are supposed to be in your purse, not in some golden calf or big vault. It's in your purse. You you pay him according to his service, but and not to rule over you, but to serve Christ. So you have a choice to make, and you better pray about it before you pick your minister. The structure of government in the church took the form of a pyramid, he says. The earthly head at the top. No. What supports the church? It's the stones at the bottom. And they can do that. They can support that pyramid. But not to rule over them. They support it by choice. And they they do this by supporting the immediate minister that they can keep an eye on. They can see what he's doing. Ten families get together and pick that minister. He goes on in his article and he talks about it was thought therefore that Moses was at the top of the pyramid and that underneath him were the captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens. In descending ranks, this structure was transferred to the New Testament church by saying that the apostles sat in the seat of Moses, the earthly head of the church. No, but that's not what Moses was doing. They had their tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, but when they chose a king who would be a central ruler which was called a rejection of God, he had his tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands too. But he appointed them as he saw fit. Moses was appointing those you chose. He's saying, you choose who you are going to get. He wasn't saying, this is going to be your Levite. This is going to be your Levite. And this is going to be your Levite. It was not top down. It was bottom up. You chose the minister. And you chose him by tithing to him, according to his service. And he chose a minister. And that minister gathered with other ministers. And they chose a minister. And they created this rank of service. But the power was always from the bottom up. Never given to the top man to come down. Because it was... God working in their hearts. Moses was trying to lead them people to that system from the very beginning, but they said the people were weak. They said, we, we can't hear God. Their hearts were too hard to have the law written in their hearts. They said, you listen to God and you tell us. You guys been doing that ever since and you're screwing up. Because now the guy sitting in the seat of Moses is sitting in the White House. I don't care who it is. I'm not picking on the guy that's there. He's a victim of your sloth. The same as Saul was a victim of the sin of Israel. He was given too much power and it corrupted him. And you guys have been doing the same thing. Year after year, you give more and more power to the men who exercise authority because you're neglecting your responsibilities of deciding who is going to be the minister of your family. The minister of your family is down at the county seat or the state government. That's the ministers who ministers to the widows and orphans of your family. You're the ones that are greedy for gain. You're the ones that say, let's all have one purse. You are the ones who have been running to evil, as it says in Proverbs. And you are the ones that are trapped in the net of your own making. You wanted to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And guess what? You are caught in that same net. Somebody said they liked something that I uh, wrote uh, some time ago. And... uh, I actually looked it up. I couldn't remember what it was. Anyway, I wrote, The only reason the government has the right to take from the people is because the people asked the government to take from their neighbors so that they could get personal benefit. That is called being greedy for gain. Proverbs 1 explains it well for all you Christians did not hear about that in your churches. Jesus said it to you in Luke 22:25, And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, these are your rulers, this is your archie, exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. This is, this is what we've been doing wrong from the very beginning. This is what you have done over and over again. You read Proverbs twelve twenty four: The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Slothful in what? Slothful in pure religion. Pure religion is what? Taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. Through the perfect law of liberty. You're not in love with liberty. You should not have it. It is too precious to give to those people who are slothful in it. You need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to go another way. And saying that you accept Jesus doesn't make that so. The hierarchy that they imagine Moses was, is not what Moses was. He wanted you guys to learn to govern yourselves in faith, hope, and charity by loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why he said you must love your neighbor as yourself. That is why Christ said you love your neighbor as yourself. And you have to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. This is the building block of the church. This is what he's really been talking about. In the article, he says, The Primary Building Blocks of the Church, according to Carl McNair, How the Church Functions, Roles and Duties of Members, Hosts, Deacons, and Elders, Global Church News, July-August 1994. It was taught that this structure was supported by Ephesians 4.11, 1 Corinthians 12.28, uh, which is... And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily uh, prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, help governments, diversities of tongues. He goes on, and in 13.1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding of brass or a tinkling of cymbals. And I added that because that's that's the key. Deacons. It comes from Diaconus which actually has to do with tins. You have to go back to the original Greek and how that Greek, where that word came from. And you'll see when you read early histories of the church, not filtered down to the ones who exercise authority, but the actual events the historical documents that are coming to light, have been coming to light, slowly squeaking past the theologians for you know, almost several hundred years now, you'll see that the church is organized into these groups of congregations of ten families. And their ministers were called dechens, or deacons, or tens, or tithing men, tithing meaning ten. And this is how they did it in what has become known as France and Germany and Italy and and Great Britain. All over the place they did this. And they had done it before for hundreds of years because it was the way in which Israel had been set up. And it's the only way that free governments have actually functioned throughout history. Is that families come together in groups of ten and pick somebody they trust. Trust to do what? Rule over them? No. Trust to help them get organized and connect them with the next group of ten and the next group of ten and the next group of ten. This is the way the church was set up. Bottom up. Your responsibility. You have to carry that load of making sure that your minister is doing a good job. That he is representing you in a moral, upright fashion. And he is bringing the message of Christ because Christ is living in him. Your responsibility. If you don't do it, somebody else will step up. And it will probably be one of those guys who exercise authority one over the other. In Ephesians 4.11 we see, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, who? Who are these guys? That's your job. To figure that out. I got all kinds of guys who are saying that they're apostles. They actually say they're ambassadors, because that's what the word apostolos means. It means ambassador. So when you see the word apostle, you're seeing the word ambassador. And they say they're an ambassador to Christ. I don't know if they are. That's their testimony. What's your testimony? Do you see them being ambassadors for the kingdom of God? Are they representing Christ in the way that Christ served? If, do they look like the disciples who came to serve not to rule over you, not to exercise not not to make you a human resource? Is that the way they're appearing, or are they just running off doing their own thing? Are they calling the widows and orphans unto them? Are they judging to help and serve, or are they just wanting to be free men and saying, everybody run for it, we're all free. You tell me you you look your responsibility. In the article, they go on to say, we will prove that God does not primarily work through one man. Absolutely, no problem. He works through each man. Instead, God always desires to have a direct relationship with his people. Absolutely, been that way since the beginning. That's why it was at the foot of Mount Sinai. There wasn't any different. It was the people that failed to do that. And that's why they went from saying, Moses, you listen, to Saul, you do it. And that's why they're under tyranny. That's why they're under authority. But they want to throw off that authority. But they're they're already rebelled against God. I would advise you not to throw off that authority, as long as you continue to rebel against God. Because you need that authority to keep you wicked people in line you would be rioting in the streets without that authority. You deserve to be under tribute because you have been slothful in the ways of God. You have not been responsible enough to even pick a minister of ten families who is going to take care of the social welfare of your congregation and have enough sense to gather with nine other groups just like yours that will help you out if something so disastrous happens that you cannot take care of it. Like you live next to a nuclear power plant and you have to flee. You have to leave your home behind. And maybe even your stuff because it's already been contaminated by radioactivity. And you have to flee to to another place. Where are you going? We got our little home church. It's radioactive now, but we can't go anywhere because we don't know anybody else Because we were just so happy with our little home church. It made us feel so good. Big mistake, folks. That's not kingdom thinking. That's selfish thinking. You didn't even want to serve another congregation. You just wanted to serve each other. And you're probably still taking from the benefactors who exercise authority and depending upon them. No, that's not the kingdom. That's not repenting. That's not turning around. That's not accepting Christ. That is not his church. you had got to turn away from that. We didn't get very far in this article, and we're already at the end of the hour. This is a big, long article. But we're going to talk about these offices and what they actually were doing in the first century church in our next show. Until then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about the difference between hierarchy and higher service. The service of the church is the service of the people. We serve God by feeding His sheep, because Christ said, Feed my sheep. Now, of course, we are to feed His sheep spiritually by giving them wise counsel, by showing them the ways of Christ, but we're also to actually feed the sheep. And I've pointed this out many times at the early church meetings, which are well-documented in history, sometimes poorly translated, the documentation, but it's still well-documented, where they talk about the Eucharist of Christ, the Thanksgiving of Christ, is actually loaves of bread not a wafer, not a crumb of bread, but loaves of bread and sacks of grain to help get people till the to the week to survive because Rome was in economic collapse. Runaway inflation, devastation of business, devastation of the economy. The price of wheat was skyrocketing. It had gone from six denarii for a sack, which is about six times, to eventually over a 100,000 denarii. Why? Because there was no more silver in the Roman silver denarii. They had a new idea. They, they had set up literally a federal reserve through the temple at Ephesus and to other temples like that that were in charge of their money systems and the underwriter insurance programs. They had their systems of social welfare, but they were predicated on a way that was called by Christ that made the word of God to none effect. It was the Corban of Rome, which is what the way Herod and the Hasmonians and, and the Pharisees had gone. They had gone the Corban of Rome instead of the Corban of Moses. The Corban of Moses depended upon free will offerings. The Corban of the Pharisees depended on forced offerings. There was still the opportunity of free will offerings, but there were forced offerings. I was just hearing the other day that a local public school was built on land that was donated to the school system by a local rancher. He actually donated the land to the government to build the school. He didn't charge them. But they built the school with taxpayer funds. They paid the teachers with taxpayers' funds. Because that part of what they did it was great. I know the people that donated the land, they're great. They they do all kinds of voluntary work. They don't live fancy. They they have a certain amount of assets, but they are very generous people. They are close to the kingdom of heaven. But they built a school that is funded by tax dollars. And those tax dollars are provided by men who call themselves benefactors, but take away from your neighbor. It is an unchristian system to do that. It is the system of Caesar the system of Rome. And this conflict was going on at the time of Christ and at the time of Paul. Paul's brother, half-brother, was extremely charitable individual. He built charitable institutions in Great Britain. He built charitable institutions. His father had built charitable institutions in Silesia. He he was an extremely charitable individual because Romans were very charitable. When they built their temple, people would come down and throw nuggets of gold underneath the cornerstone in advance, and they would pay money to build the rest of the temples. But by the time of Augustus Caesar, those temples were beginning to be funded by tax dollars and by tribute and by what... Augustus would take from those who opposed him. he would you know take all their lands all their property he was extremely rich half of under Augustus half of the government dole was sometimes paid out of his own pocket. That was common amongst the Romans in those days, but they were going another way. They were creating another system that was not a good deal was a bad deal, and that was the system of Corbin. Like the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect. So we, we began the show talking about that quote from Isaiah in 123 that talks about the princes are rebellious. You are to be kings and priests, but you are rebellious kings and priests. You are the princes who have as a companion thieves and robbers. That Jesus said, you have made my house not a house of prayer, but a house of thieves and robbers. Why? Because they had created the system of Corbin that makes the word of God the none effect, which is you had to pay in according to statutory requirements, and we will tell you who you'll be your ministers, and they will tell you what you're going to get. It was top-down. That's what they had done. They had gone from a system of faith, open charity, and free will offerings to a top-down system. They loved the gifts. They loved benefits. They followed after those benefits. And they ate of a table of kings, of rulers, or of archies who exercised authority. And their table was a snare. And Paul tells you this. David tells you this. Proverbs tells you this. The ones that don't tell you this are the ministers in your churches who say, Just come and believe. But if you have any need, go to the men who call themselves benefactors and exercise authority. They will take care of your widows and orphans. But in Isaiah it says, They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. You're not doing that in your churches anymore. And that's how come I know you're not really a church established by Christ. Because the church established by Christ did that. If your church is not taking care of the entire social welfare of your congregations, then you're not yet His church. You're still part of the church of Rome, of Caesar. Because you still pray to the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority to the fathers of the earth. you got a long ways to go. You're worried about incorporation of your church? Yeah, good good point. But if you stop there you ain't going to make it. you got to become the government of God, taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. That's going to take some real sacrifice on your part, probably. But if you gather amongst yourself not the slothful, but the diligent, it won't be as hard as you think. Now, they talk about elders in this article that we were looking at, which was an article by uh, Wesley Webster. He talks about elders served their families as representatives and leaders giving counsel and guidance. They were representatives of their families and tribes, not lords. Well, an elder is actually the oldest father in your family. That would be, he might have married sons and their families, but he was grandpa. That's the elder. Of that family. Until he dies, his sons were not sui juris. They were not entirely in possession of their rights. If his sons wanted to get married, they went to him and asked permission to get married. And the father signed the marriage certificate saying, yes, I grant permission. And then they married by the permission of their father and they were still part of the family of their father but he would give that permission freely and they would begin their own family if they died and they had a daughter and and, and uh, a daughter-in-law and and children the elder of the family the older grandpa is now responsible for her well-being and the children because they're still part of that family And he will depend upon his other married sons and unmarried daughters to help support those children. And unmarried sons. To help support those children. Because family was the key building block of the government of God. Now, he may not have enough resources to do this, especially if there's been more than one death or disaster. And so he gathers together in a congregation of nine other families like his own. He is an elder by circumstance. He's not appointed an elder. Elders were appointed to other jobs within the church. An elder is an office of the family, not of the church. you get got to get that really clear in your head because you're kings and priests. The elder is the king of his princes, his sons, and unmarried sons, and unmarried daughters. His daughters, when they get married, they're now in another family. And they will be kings and queens in that family as that family grows and matures. When they first enter in, they're only princesses and princes. That's the way the system works. It's not a hierarchy. It's a patriarchy of families. And every family is king and priest. And they have a responsibility of coming together and forming allegiances of love for one another. Alliances of faith. Not contracts, not covenants. Your congregations have no corporate nature. They are free assemblies. Not even associations, free assemblies, because what they give to their minister, they give entirely. And he must decide how it is to be used. He goes on in the article and he talks about, Though we are not given exact details, it is reasonable to conclude that each of the 70 major family branches subdivided further into smaller family groupings led by elected elders. No, we actually are given great detail throughout history that they, you know, this seventy has to do with something else. And we see seventy uh, council of seventy in the Old Testament. We see that seventy were following Christ. Why? Because they weren't just walking down the street kicking up dust. They were actually forming this other institution of the ecclesia. He was training his disciples to be the ministers of a system of social welfare that did not exercise authority. When he was heralded as king, he implemented that by giving orders in the temple that they could not do this, and they could not carry vessels around. They could not carry weapons, even, to force the contributions of the people. Now, he wanted his people carrying weapons. That wasn't any problem with that. But he did not want those weapons to be used to compel the offerings of the people. And this is why he's pointing out, this is why there's so much talk of him in the treasury itself, in the gastophone That's the royal treasury. He's telling them, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to do it the way that Moses said to begin with, free will offerings. And you guys who have been appointed from the top down, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. fired." Those are the porters of the temple. Nobody could fire the porters of the temple but the king been that way since David. It tells you that in the Old Testament. the porters the the gatekeepers of the temple, the money changers because they had to change the money into their coin in order for it to be acceptable, and they charged a little bit for doing that, but they also got a clip because they were the porters of the temple, but they were they were expected to collect uh millions of dollars in silver. And Jesus came along and said, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired with a string whip, which goes back to ancient Egypt using the string whip to fire and the hook to hire ministers. The way it was meant in the kingdom is Christ was not to appoint who was to sit on the left and who is to sit on the right from the top down. But his father decided this, and he decided it through the hearts and minds of those kings and priests, those people of the congregations. They decided who was going to sit on the left and the right by picking a minister of their congregation. That's why it's so important that when you pick that minister of your congregation, you pick him wisely that he is walking according to the Holy Spirit, he is not easily dissuaded from the ways of Christ, the ways of our Father. Because there there is a burden with that job of being a minister. And he needs to be well-versed and practiced in that ways of the Spirit. So it's your job as as kings and priests to pick that minister who is moving according to the righteousness of God. And then he picks his minister... You still have power. If he picks a minister that is, like in the days of Samuel, is taking bribes in, in this system to misappropriate the funds that come up to him and not do his job and not connect the congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands, you say, You know, you picked that minister, but I've heard these reports and I've heard those reports. What's the deal? Have I picked the wrong minister who picks the wrong minister who picks the wrong minister? I want to see changes. And the and the minister needs to scratch his head and not be given to bribes from the bottom either. And say, you know, I think this guy is still doing the will of Christ. And we know we know what the will of Christ is, to serve, to care for, to take care of the needs of others. This is what they were doing in Israel. They were running their whole country Whole country, whole nation, facing marauders and, and Malachites and amalekites and able to support their armies with free will offerings. Able to support the needy of their society. You know, after they had these wars, there were widows and orphans galore. Did they just starve in the streets? No, they had a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity. And when the war was over, the war continued in righteousness to care for those survivors. There were no pensions, automatic, no entitlements, but you took care of the wounded. Men came back wounded, couldn't farm their fields. You had to help. The war continued after the war, and it was a burden. And people said, we don't want war again. And they became an unbelievable, undefeatable foe for anybody who would be aggressive against them. Because there was no defeating them. Because they had bonds tighter and stronger and more firm. In the face of battle, than contracts and covenants and constitutions. Nobody, when you're really under battle, siege, somebody's shooting at you, nobody's thinking of the Constitution. Nobody runs out onto the battlefields and saves his buddy because of the, the great words in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. They go out there because he's their buddy. And I always say that the system that Moses set up, the system that Christ set up, was the buddy system times ten. And your bonds were bonds of loyalty and honor. And it changed the way in which you did everything. But we're not organizing. You're not organizing your churches like the early church. You're organizing your churches like Caesar. Top down. Your pastors have too much power. They have become brutes. They don't even take care of the widows and orphans. They send them to the benefactors to exercise authority. He goes on in the article and says, Since the people did not have a direct relationship with God, they needed Moses to judge them and to solve their disputes. Who said they didn't have a direct relationship with God? They should have had. They could have had. But they failed following in the ways of God. They did not do what God wanted them to do, begin with, because their hearts were hardened. There were many who did listen, who did want to go that way, but the vast majority did not. In the early church, they had to learn this more so. They they weren't leaving Egypt. They wouldn't leave Jerusalem even. Until the fall of Jerusalem some 30 years later. But they were still learning what it meant to be the government of God. To be the kingdom of God. How that was to operate. Modern Christians haven't got a clue hardly. And those of you who are beginning to wake up, you're not doing it. You're not walking that walk. I know some of you are wanting to. Some of you are beginning to take those steps. Like Abraham leaving Ur and leaving Haran, you're walking out into the wilderness saying, you know, I'm going to try to gather together and become the benefactors who don't exercise authority. That takes faith. That takes hope. And that takes charity. And if you don't have that charity, you've got nothing. So the rest of these offices... The ambassador of the king, the apostles, had a particular duty. You know, if anybody says he's an ambassador to Christ and he does not know what they were doing in Acts 6, then he's probably not an ambassador to Christ. Why, why did you need to look out amongst yourselves and pick men you choose? They already had tens, hundreds, and thousands. Why did they have to pick these seven men? And why did they need the apostles who had given up everything, given up all their possessions, had given everything up, they had nothing but what you gave them. Why did they depend on those men to serve them? You know, recently we were offered a church building in Michigan. That's how I mentioned that. And And we were looking out amongst ourselves, because they came to me because they've known me for years, and they wanted somebody to take over that church building. So I, I contacted one of our people, and he sent out the message. I was on the road at the time. And all of a sudden, people we have never seen really any contact with suddenly pop up on the network. Because there's something that we offered, make available. I haven't passed that on to anybody. And I haven't passed the details on to anybody because I don't really know who they are. And the people who called me called me because they knew who I am. Why would I then give to somebody that responsibility who I do not know? That would be a betrayal of their trust in me. I cannot do that. You see, so... The reality is what they were doing by creating these congregations in the early church and these congregations back there in the Sinai in the desert was they were learning who can they trust. Who would be a good minister? Who would be a good Levite? And if he wasn't a good Levite, they'd look for somebody else who was better. Because the reins of government were in the hands of the people. I have so many people, even the person sending me this article are telling me, that we are all kings and priests. Well, you say that, but are you picking ministers to bind you together in a kingdom based on faith, hope, and charity? A network of people that are actually care as much about your rights as they do. You know, homeschooling. We're big advocates of homeschooling. In many countries today, homeschooling is illegal. Families have had to flee the country of their birth in order to teach their children. Where did they go? What country did they go to? Because they had to leave everybody they knew in their country. Well, the kingdom is not dependent upon the United States or Australia or Canada. We can go anywhere. And we can be accepted anywhere. We're a separate government. Kind of like the the Knights of Malta. You know, the... They've been a separate government for 900 years. We've been a separate government for 2,000. They have no land, but they make their own money, their own postage stamps, everything. They're a separate government, recognized by hundreds of countries, but they have no land. Well, His Holy Church, established by Jesus Christ, can say the same. Except everybody who says that they are His Holy Church are not really doing what Christ says. So, It's up to you kings and priests to figure out who the real church is. It's kind of like truth or consequences. you got to pick the right guys. The guys who are really here to serve and make you a stronger people, not weaken you. Not deliver you into the bondage of Egypt. But to set you free so that you can stand as free souls under God. Which is what the kingdom of God is really all about. But it requires that you be elders in your family. And that you take on the responsibilities of government through faith, hope, and charity. Nobody gets a paid salary here. But everybody should be paid for the work that they do. But we don't operate by force. We don't operate by accountants, which they called scribes in the Bible. those That's what they are, they're accountants. You, when you got registered with the baptism of Herod, you would be registered by a scribe. I would put your name down in the book, and you would have to pay in, but you would be guaranteed an entitlement. But that Corbin, that system of sacrifice made the word of God in none effect. So, yes, there is heirs who were appointed the kingdom. We see Christ saying, I appoint unto you a kingdom. But they do not exercise authority one over the other. They do not uh, put crowns on the heads of single men... And say, this man shall rule over this whole nation. No. We don't have that authority. Christ would not even take that authority. You are responsible for figuring out who will be the highest amongst you. And he goes and he clearly states, he is who is to be higher amongst you is to be the servant. Not the ruler. Not the archie. But the servant. But are you doing that? Are you gathering together? Just listening to this recording or this broadcast is not enough. You actually have to do it. And that's why we set up the Living Network. So you can go online and you can find other people in your area. And as we form more and more congregations of record, I want to be able to say that if you get a hold of me in uh, and you're from New York and you hear me on the radio somewhere and you say, okay, I want to join one of these congregations, where are they? I can say this is a congregation in California. This is a congregation in Oregon. This is a congregation in Poughkeepsie. This is a congregation and we can just point and you just give them a phone call. You don't even have to go on the net. And you can meet up. You know, we don't have big buildings normally. And we may not take up this offer of a building in Michigan. We may not take them up on it because it's More important that you come together and be the living stones of the building of Christ's kingdom, of Christ's temple. By each of you being temples of the Holy Spirit and taking back your responsibilities of being the government of the people, for the people, and by the people through faith, hope, and charity. And not through some democracy where you have become a socialist state. Where you become human resources, merchandise, that's what you've done. You know, I, I'm repeating the same things, but I'm doing it within the context of this article. Because they say in here in the article, since the people did not have their direct relationships with God, they needed Moses. Bunk! They were going the wrong way when they wanted Moses. When they said, you listen, Moses, and tell us. That was wrong. They were already sinning. The same as when they did with Saul. Saul. In another place, he says, Moses' mission was to bring Israel from Egypt to the promised land. Yet, because of sin, Moses could not complete his mission. The lesson for us is that Moses alone, we can never enter the promised land. We need Yeshua to bring us in. They did enter into the promised land. Moses didn't go with him, because at one point, Moses used his staff to strike the rock instead of just speak to it. And if you understood all the meaning of the Hebrew, you would realize what was really going on there, is that Moses was not to exercise authority. Now, he repented of that, and God sent his holy angels to fight for his soul at his demise, and they talk about that, and you don't probably understand that. It gets in more of the metaphysical, spiritual side of the kingdom, which is the real part of the kingdom, not the form. I mean, some people think they formed a congregation of record because they filled out papers. Forming a congregation of record in order for us to give you a letter of recognition and start giving out IDs within your church, we need to see your church is really a congregation based on your record, which is not a signed piece of paper. The paper is for the world. Your deeds are so that we can bear witness that you are following in the ways of Christ, in the ways of the early church, in the ways that the church should be today. And we don't see that. We see most of you not doing that yet. We're starting to see it, and that's great hope. But you have to turn around all the way and take that direction righteously, towards the kingdom, striving, seeking. And we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about this hierarchy, and we have a number of other shows that we've done and and uh, recordings that we've made on Archie and and the word anarchy is without archy. It means no archy, no exercising authority. And in that sense, Christ was preaching a government that was an anarchy. But we have this idea that anarchy are these rebels that throw over buses and they just run around do anything they want. There was still law in the kingdom. It was just to be written on our hearts and our minds. the The law of the Ten Commandments is still there. There's no removal of that. But most people don't understand all ten of those commandments, and that's what the early Israelites were having trouble understanding because they would not let God write his laws in their hearts and their minds, so they wrote it on stone. But the basic premise of the Ten Commandments is found in those two laws mentioned by Christ of loving God who is righteousness, a giver of life, a creator of life, a nurturer of life, and to love one another as God has loved us. So that that's basically all the law. And if that's written in your hearts, what would that look like? What would your day look like? What would you be doing if that's what you were, was really in the core of your being? Would you just be off doing your own thing or would you be gathering together for the purpose of serving one another? In Jeremiah 17.5 we see, here the Eternal says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Enoch followed in the ways of God, and he was long before Christ. We could have returned all the time. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that we didn't need Christ. We certainly did. But we could have gotten closer as individuals, just like Abraham, through faith, began to hear from God, and began to walk in the ways of God. Not very well, but he did. He screwed up a lot. We're still paying some of his screw-up. His his second wife and child was a big mistake. Even at the request of his wife, it was a big mistake. And we're still paying the price of that. But we maybe needed that. Maybe God allowed that because we needed to learn something from that. But if we don't learn it, then what do we do then? Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. This idea of Christ living in you is not new to Christ. But Christ was that vortex, that change that allowed this to come about. But many people say they have accepted Christ, and it's not coming about. It's not, I do not see it. I see imitation Christians. I see whited sepulcher Christians. I see Christians with a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the power thereof is the power you have to choose. To choose your minister, your servant, your public servant, who will take care of the needs of your society. Who will set the table of the Lord by your request and provision So that you do not have to go and eat at the table of the benefactors who exercise authority. The table that is a snare. The table that is full of benefits, full of gifts, full of rewards, but brings you into bondage. Snares you, traps you in a net of recompense. That makes you a human resource. That's what you've done. So, when we read in 1 Corinthians 11.3, we see, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the anointed. And the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, he's talking about, he was dealing with the issue of exercising authority. Women should not exercise authority over the men of the church. Well, The men don't really exercise authority, too. People say, well, who exercises authority in your church? Christ. Christ in you. But how do you form any kind of a group when Christ is exercising authority? Don't you have to go to a man who says, this is what Christ says? No. Every man must know. The congregations of God are men who choose to walk together. They do not bind themselves together except in love. This is so simple. I shouldn't have to keep repeating it. (laughs) But I do. Because uh, we get new listeners who haven't heard any of this yet. And sometimes, you know, it's amazing. Some people listen and listen and listen, and they never quite get it. And then all of a sudden, one day, they get it. So, you know, the repetition of it is important. And I always try to add a little bit extra, like I'm taking out of this article. But many of these quotes that he's using, I use. And the funny thing is, is this article was sent to me by somebody who thought that his holy church was becoming some sort of a hierarchy. I don't have any authority over anybody. I have authority over that which is given me. But I don't own any of the people. We are forming free congregations, free assemblies. You're going to need that if you want a free society ever. This idea of Moses taking you to the desert and saying, run for it, you're free. Is this not the case? You know, I had some guy named Gino once who says, Yeah, I'm freeing Americans one man at a time. Well, that's, that's goofy. He just got one man after another devoured and destroyed economically. He got people robbed of millions of dollars because of his shenanigans. And they just went out and they were slaughtered. Literally, financially. Some probably even died because of his freeing one man at a time. Without teaching the people how to be the government of God and take on the responsibility of taking care of one another, you would be totally exempt from the new health care coming up if you had been doing what the church was supposed to be doing. Fortunately, there are a few organizations who are similar to the early church, but not really have already been written in as exempt. But it says that your organization had to begin before, I think, 1976. Well, if your church is established by Christ with real apostles of Christ, which I'm not going to even claim. I'm not going to claim that. It doesn't do any good if I say that His Holy Church is. You need to proclaim it. That you're going back to Christ as the head of the church, who appointed Ambassadors, apostles, to look at, to have you look out amongst yourselves, pick men you trust, they would appoint them over this business. That becomes a church controlled organization. The church has been around, according to Supreme Court ruling, since at least Constantine, which is really a falsehood, because the church didn't begin with Constantine. That's where some people took a wrong turn. (laughs) And the individual sent me this, he says, do you think Constantine established the church, the legal church? No, Christ established the legal church. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. Written there, recognized by Rome, by Pontius Pilate, that Jesus Christ was king. They didn't come out and say, in a couple hundred years, we're going to start preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand when Constantine agrees. Constantine actually was stepping away from the ways of Christ. And we show that in the book, Thy Kingdom Come. This person is sending me reams of information to read, and he hasn't even read our book. He doesn't even know where we're coming from. He hasn't even done the courtesy of listening to what we are actually saying and reading what we put down in black and white. And we offer it all for free. But he doesn't do it. But I used, I said, well, give me opportunity for some material for the show. In Ephesians one twenty two twenty three, we see hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, and fullness of him that filleth all in all. How does he do that? In each of you, priests and kings. But you are not priests and kings unless you are doing the job that he gave the priests and kings that he gave the church for. You have to start taking care of one another. And being the benefactors who don't exercise authority. You all have to do this. In order to do this, you will need public servants. Now, in the world you have public servants, but they come with guns. We don't come with guns. We come to help you help each other. And if we don't do a good job, fire us. Say, I don't recognize you as a minister anymore. I'm looking for somebody who will actually do what Christ said to do. It says, the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. But it is Christ working in you where this is manifest. Paul never did away with the law. He says, does this make the law to none effect? Does this this do away with the law? God forbid. When you really have Christ in you, you will manifest the law. You will love one another. You will care for one another. You will provide for one another. I'm amazed at the number of people who think they're out of the system and everything, and you start mentioning charity. They go berserk. They go like, oh, well, everybody does that. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It has to do with not having a driver's license. Bunk. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Especially if you have to abandon your family and starve them so that you can have no driver's license and go around yelling that you're a free man. Bunk. That's a lie. If you can be free, choose it rather. But if you can't be free, don't be worse than a heathen and not take care of your family. Now, our family has, you know, done without a lot of things other families could have had, and we could have made lots and lots of money, but we've taken everything we've had and we've given it to the church. You know, I've provided for some of the members of my family, but basically the, everything that we've accumulated has gone to the church and to the service of the church. We are not hierarchical. We are servants. We lay it all out, and we are looking for more ministers who will do the same. For the purposes of Christ, to preach and propagate His ordinance of loving one another, of taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. That simple. And that is the higher service, the heir service. The word higher there has to do with being heir. We are to come together for the purposes of serving one another. He has a couple of things that he mentions in the article. Uh, first is, every disciple was involved in the decision-making process. Why? Was it a democracy? You're involved in the decision-making profit, pro, uh, process when you say, this is my minister. It's not 51% of the people in a congregation saying, this is our minister. You say individually, this is my minister. Period. You can't speak for the other guys. You can speak for your sons, if you're the elder of a family, and you can debate amongst your sons, and they can give you their opinion, but you are the king, they are the princes. When you die, they will be kings, and they will have to decide. And you will become rich. We were just talking, to show you the the principle of the mathematics of the kingdom, and I'll show you the mathematics of the world. The mathematics of the world, in, in 1913... If you had a hundred dollar bill, which wasn't issued by the Federal Reserve, but say the one, the the first ones that were issued by the Fed, you went and got those notes, and they still said redeemable in lawful money. And you went to redeem them in lawful money, you could get, you could get five twenty dollar gold pieces, which would be five ounces, for a hundred dollars. So that's, that's what you could get for a hundred dollars in. Now to buy those same five ounces today, not counting numismatic value or anything, would cost you over $8,000. So minimum wage today is $9.50. Minimum wage back then was like $0.19. And you could buy more with that $0.19 than you can today. If you were still on the gold standard without Federal Reserve notes, with real just weights and measures in your pocket, silver and gold in your pocket, and copper and other... You could use other metals as well. If you had those... uh, which they call commodity money. I mean, you could have a bag of grain over your shoulder as commodity money, but it's just easier to put a coin in your pocket. But if you still had that, just weights and measures, with every birth of every child, the money in your pocket would become worth more because there would be a greater demand for that money. At the beginning of the show, the money would have a certain buying value power. At the end of the show, it would go up. Now... What the money that's in your pocket will go down, just like it did in Rome. Except it's going to go down faster and faster and faster and faster. And it's gonna be worldwide. Everywhere in the world. Total economic collapse. But see in the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom is your your neighbor who also is seeking the kingdom. That is where you should be making your investments. In each other. And then with every new Member of your congregation who is simply people who are choosing to walk with you. Now, your pastor, your minister, he isn't just there to chatter in your ear for a couple hours every Sunday or Sabbath. He's health, education, and welfare. He is your FEMA, your faith emergency ministry auxiliary. He and all the other ministers he gathers with, nine others like himself and a the minister they pick who gathers with nine other ministers like himself. And they create a network based on faith, hope, and charity. Assurance polity of love. Can you do that? You think you can do that? That is what the church was doing. And they did it in the nick of time because they needed it badly. Are you going to do it in the nick of time? Because you're going to need it badly. And the more people you add to this who are really coming in the spirit of Christ who come to serve others, not simply to save themselves, the more you will have that will come. But in order to test one another, you have to start giving. And you have to start doing the work of a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Health, education, and welfare. Boy, I could tell you all the things that you could do in this this line. There are so many health remedies that are available that actually work. There's lots of alternative health remedies out there that don't work. How do you know if they work? You go online and they say, oh, we have these testimonies and they have, you know, somebody, you know, Steve says, Steve in, in, in Poughkeepsie says, or Dan in whatever says, but you know who these people are. But in this network of congregations of record, you would actually have real testimony of real people that have nothing to gain but, we would begin to know, well, you know, they say this, they say that. We had somebody who had vertigo in the Dakotas, and he, every time he laid down, he had trouble. And there were several suggestions as possibilities, and I suggested that maybe he had to have his ears checked by a doctor who actually looks in there and sees what's going on. And it could be something as simple as an ear infection. Well, it's actually something simpler than that. The guy was losing his marbles is what he said and actually what that meant is there's little tiny beads that are on the ends of these little celia hairs deep inside your ear and if one of them comes off it can roll around in there and when you lay down or put your head back and it can cause you this vertigo this dizziness and there's an exercise that you can do and I actually went online and looked at some of them that you can do that will remove that ball and put it in a place where it's not going to cause this trouble and it's, it's it doesn't cost you anything. Every minister should know about this or know somebody who knows about that. So that if you have this problem, they say, oh, well, Steve over there in the congregation at James River, he knows he's had that problem before. He can show you how that works. And you go to church and solve the problem. You don't need health insurance. You've got the church. You know, somebody else sent on our health group, just sent something about um borax. Well, we actually think we may have discovered a borax mine on the church property, and borax can be used to actually deal with things like arthritis, and it's been successfully used. Now, I'm not I'm not diagnosing anybody or recommending that, but you're all priests and kings; you have to figure it out. But we need to be the servants that make these things available to you, because there's coming a day where you're not going to be able to get help help anywhere. Except for either the church or the benefactors who want to make you a slave. Or already have made you a slave. You want to be free, you've got to start taking back your responsibilities. And you do that in a system, a network. Not every man for himself, every man for everybody else. Everybody coming together to serve one another. This is what Christ was doing, showing you how to do this. This is what Moses was doing. This is what his altars were about. They weren't about burning up sheep. They were about taking care of the welfare of each other. And we show this in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, in detail. We go right into the Hebrew and show you that that's what they were doing. We show you the history of it. All the way back to Abraham, as they were setting up a social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity, because that's the only way you are going to create the bonds of faith and love. That faith in God and love in each other that will set you free. I see in his article he also talks about Paul instead of Ananias. In fact, Peter should have been the one sent to Paul instead of Ananias. What? Why does he say that? Why? Why wasn't? What was wrong? People don't understand Paul. And I'm I just finished. I got a little bit more editing on seven hours on Paul's epistle to the Romans and on the network we're going to make that available and i want to make it available to all the the ministers of record so that you know they get together and they can play an hour of that and then they can talk about it you know and it actually doesn't take a whole hour to play it you can play a half hour for all i care but you can play that and you can listen to that and study it and we're going to have a little study sheet that goes right along with it and we will give you a view of Paul's epistle to the Romans that you're not going to get in those churches that have delivered you back into bondage. You're not going to get them in your incorporated churches. And anybody who's read the book Higher Liberty, which again we give away free on the net, will see that we open a whole new avenue of thinking in relationship to the Gospels, in the relationship to Paul, what he was really saying. And the amazing thing is, is all those questions that came up when I was studying in the seminary way back when I was 13 years old and 14 years old, I was studying, you know, the the Bible in the in the Greek and and Latin, and was looking at this and saying, "But what about this? But what about that?" And it, things didn't quite seem to fit. And I have one of those minds that everything has to fit. You, you can't just overlook items and say, "Oh, well, that was this," and that's what they always did when I asked questions. "Oh, well, don't worry about that. That really isn't important." You know, don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> I looked behind the curtain and I said, wait a minute, this doesn't fit. And then all of a sudden, out here herding sheep one day in the middle of the night, I asked God, I says, I don't get it. Something doesn't fit. And I can't figure it out. And then he showed me. And I'm showing you. And you can take it or leave it. But if you take it, take it up with sincerity. Take it up with dedication. Take it up with love for one another take it up with fellowship for each other that actually means something. It's not just a weekend fellowship. It's a fellowship of love and caring for one another that actually will mean something, create real bonds that will hold up during times of adversity. And there are so many levels to this that we can go into. And I don't go into the details on the radio or on these shows. We go into the details with people who are already taking those steps back towards the kingdom, like prodigal sons. We didn't just say, you know, okay, I'm really bad off, and I'd be better off at my dad's house, and I'll call him up, and maybe he'll let me come back in. No, we came back to serve. And then I know that you really have the nature of Christ in you. And that's where we need to go. And if we won't go there, we're not going to go anywhere but the pit. So let's repent. Let's turn around. And until we see each other again, may God be with you. And peace be upon your house.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.